how many houses, how many cars, how much money, how much sex do you need, how much validation from your friends, family, workers, and your social media before you start to finally accept your innate essence of who you are, before you start to love the part of yourself which is light, which is love, which is the pursuit or the perfection which you'll never attain, but for those on their foremost paths, for those on the best of paths, as the Buddha once said, will you finally start to acknowledge what life is, your true nature as a human being? Maybe then you would start to love and accept who you are. And then the question comes in, but Adam, what if I'm a piece of shit? What if I'm physically a piece of shit, which is that my physical state is in a disrepair? What if my mental psychology is that of a weak, immature boy or girl, if you're listening to this? What if I am corrupting all the relationships around me what if i've cheated on people what if i've betrayed people deceived people and really i'm just a even less than dirt in the consideration of my own mind what if i have no drive what if i have no purpose what if all it is is that i just wake up and i am a drain on the system drain as a leech on the people around me and on the society as a whole what if i don't see reason for living it in of itself that's okay it's okay to acknowledge that you are a piece of shit You cannot love yourself if you are, in fact, a piece of shit. However, even a piece of shit can acknowledge a path. Can, as I said before, as the Buddha once said, acknowledge a foremost path, the best of paths, and to pursue a lifetime of development in serving others to generate internal value within yourself that you could deliver to other people. It's an honorable path. To help someone and to not hurt someone is an honorable path. There's always a path forward for all of us here. No matter what your current state, no matter how excellent, supremely excellent your state is, or how woefully disappointing it may be. This podcast is brought to you by BoldDojo.com, where you can book one-on-one coaching with myself in order to create action plans, overcome limiting beliefs, destroy negative self-perceptions, and egoic attachments. Have a listening ear to the trials of your life, helping you to move forward. You can also sign up for the free weekly email newsletter, The Bold Sip. It's just a quick sip of social dynamics and anything I'm exploring on Fridays. Just go to boldojo.com, sign that up. You can also hit up the free resources of Wisdom, where I drop my favorite books, movies, quotes, anime, documentaries, music, all of that, all at boldojo.com. And if you would like to help support this podcast, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link, paypal.me forward slash A-D-A-M-O-O-I. Link is down below in the description, or you can also donate directly through the website, also linked down in the description. Anything that you guys do donate is always extremely appreciated and just goes back to helping support the show and what I do here. So thank you very much. And if you do get anything from this piece of content, please let me know in a comment down below. I'll do my best to get back to you as soon as possible and also please drop a thumbs up on the video it just helps the youtube algorithm helps send out the video to more people in the community and if you find that you resonated share it with a friend who you think would resonate as well let's get into today's show self-love and acceptance is something i found amongst uh, young males in particular the clients that i work with and i think that's really the inception point of today's podcast is i'm just noticing it as a pattern it's popping up in society more and more which is Young males who don't seem to be able to find a place within themselves to accept them. Whether that's because of external pressures in which that you definitely have a large part of society which is saying that masculine energy is to be something to be ashamed of and it's not something to be proud of and there's no firm ground upon which masculine beings can now find themselves in. Can find their, if you will, their pride rock. The rock upon which that they may all come around and sit and say, okay, this is what it means to be a masculine being. Which I don't know how maybe... Maybe it's not that I don't know how, maybe it's just impressive how fast that rock was taken away from masculine beings. Yet I never seem to lose it myself. Self-love and self-acceptance for me came in acknowledging, as I said before, the imperfect condition. You will never come to a place in which that, yes, now I've slept with enough girls to call myself a man and to say that I can love myself now. 
because others have given me love. Is that true love? Is that the love that you desire in this life? That I will only base my source of internal driving love because of that of which I've received outside of myself. Is that the love that you want? Is that a true love or is that a fake love? Is that a veil of a love? Is that a impermanent love that will one day recede back into the ashes of what you could have known internally, what you could have known inside of yourself, which is that my love, my validation is a cup that can always be filled by myself. It is not a cup that has no bottom. For all of you that are chasing self-love and acceptance in those things outside of yourself, chasing what is external to you, it's a cup of no bottom. You keep pouring and pouring all your life and you will never fill that cup. In fact, it works in the reverse. You keep pouring into a cup that has no bottom, you start to lose faith, start to lose hope, start to forget who you are. And for those of you right now, who are you? Who are you? Now, I'm not asking what your first name is. I'm not asking your surname. I'm not asking what you do for work. I'm not asking what you have done in your life. Right? Those are the what's. Those are the actions you've taken. I'm asking, who are you? How often have you considered this question? Now, for those that come to work with me, this is a question we ask a lot. I, seemingly unrelated, I will end sessions, begin sessions, midway through sessions, just pose this question to my clients, whether they came to me because they're breaking down a recent date experience, they're breaking down their social dynamics, they're learning to go out and meet people, they're learning to go out and create new business relationships, whatever it may be. They're working on this family conflict and we're looking to harmonize the different dynamics between her and him and his mom or sisters, brothers, whatever it may be. Maybe it's just an existential crisis they came to me with and they feel like their life is imploding, whatever it may be. I will often pose this question, which is, who are you? You know what? There are levels to that. Let me start you at base level, which is, my name's Adam and I'm 29. <laughs> and I speak into a microphone. Yeah, okay, if that's who you think you are, you've got work. Elevate yourself to the next level. Okay, who were you before you had a name? For all of you right now, what was your first memory? Think back right now. I'll give you a literal set. I'll give you a moment right now. What was your first memory? What is the first idea you have of concept, of perceiving reality itself? For me, apparently, it was roughly around when I was somewhere three to four years old. I was riding a little tricycle around my mother's parents' front yard, around a little water fountain. It's my earliest memory. And then very closely paired with me being in a cot. It's the first memory. So was that Adam? Was that who I was? Well, there were three to four years of existence prior to that. So who was I then? Who was I before this ego, before this monstrous conception of what a human being can be? And I say monstrous, maybe not so much necessarily in a negative way. But it is monstrous in its grand, in its nature of what we can do with our egos, with who we can believe ourselves to be, with the power that it yields. The monstrosity of the power of your ego is intense. It is incredible. It can cause such beauty. It can cause you to go out and walk a life which is not only principle run, in which that I will seek to offer every human being the best of a principled life, which is... I'll be direct, congruent, and authentic with all of them. Covering with empathy as always. Right? These are the principles that I will live and die by, and I'll make sure that I treat every single human being with those principles. Not only treating myself, but others as well. And then alongside your principle-run life, principle-driven life, you also have a, tel- a temple development. You have a development-run mindset in which that, okay, I've got my purpose, my physical, my mental, my social development transcended by a true nature of life. 
and you have all these different things that you're mechanicalizing on, which I'm sure is not a word, but it sounds pretty fucking dope, so I'll run with it. You have these mechanics of your life in which that, okay, you go to work on your temple. So you have all these different pieces. You have all these different pieces, and but this is all very egoic. This is all something that Adam designed. This is all something that if you're listening to this, that Jeffrey, that Sarah, that Michael designed. And that is the power of having an ego. It's so beautiful because all of what I just said, if you're going to have these principles that you run by, you're going to have this temple that you live through and that you're always looking to walk the foremost, the best of paths, the foremost and best of paths that offer a better experience to all of the human beings in this world. That's so beautiful. It's so egoic, but it's so beautiful at the same time. And that if you were to just look the other way, if you were to look in the left hand, if that was going right and you turn your head and you take a look left, you see the complete opposite. You see, as I said at the beginning of this podcast, people that are chasing the validation of others, people that only seek to live to take, that in all of your relationships, we can get very micro right here. Let's just look at an energy exchange. Take a circumvention, take a analysis of the relationships that you have engaged in the last seven days. How much of it, if you were to look at the net return on I gave energy versus I took energy, does that calculation come out to be? You can start with that equation and that analysis, and then you can work backwards from that as to whether you're living the life that you want to live and whether you're the person that you want to be. If you're spending most of your life taking energy from others, then you can't be purpose. Well, you could be principle run, but maybe your principles are not serving of others, serving only of yourself. But when you can say for sure that you're certainly not building a temple that would one day help others. You know, if you go back to that podcast I made recently on when you've lost meaning in life, this session is starting to feel very similar to that. And a lot of people sent feedback on that session saying how powerful it was for them because of the temple analogies that I ran. That the reason why we, well, I would hope, I would hope that if you wanted to come to a place of self-love and self-acceptance, that the temple you're building in this life wouldn't be for yourself. Of course, the, when you're in this analogy, when you're in this jungle and you clear this land, you clear this forest in order to lay a foundation. And upon that foundation, you would build a temple, as I said before, built upon your purpose, physical, mental, social development, and then transcended at the top level by an inner garden, which is your knowing of true nature. That it would primarily be to serve other people a better experience in this world. Because if you're not doing that, what are you doing? And that's where we come back to this. And this is where this whole line started of being a piece of shit. It's okay if you're a piece of shit. To acknowledge that you're a piece of shit and then to move forward anyway. You know, that's the offerings all of us have. For those of you that have not known love in your life, many clients that I work with have problems with self-love because they don't have an image. They don't have a concept of what love can be. And we can talk about that in terms of receiving love or we can talk about just seeing an example, a demonstration of what someone else who loves themselves could be like. Of course, in this podcast, that may sound very egoic, but let's dive a little bit deeper there. When we're saying love themselves, we're talking about, and actually maybe we should just nail that out for a second. What does it even mean to have self-love? This is a bit of a tangent. I want to pause what we were just about to go into and realize, yes, let's go into a slight definition, but we will come back to those that have not seen a rigorous and rudimentary demonstration of what self-love can be. So let's talk about what actually self-love is then. Okay. As I said before, if you are acknowledging that you are imperfect, that's really what I believe to be step one of what self-love is. 
to not have any qualms, to not have any internal fraying as to who you are as a human being, which is why I posed that question before of who are you? Self-love is to know who you are. Self-love is to realize that who you are is not the name. It's not the house. It's not the cars. It's not the job. It's not the writing on the paper. It's not all the reflections that you see back at you, all the chaos and the mystery in this world. But to know who you are is to know that without words. With a clear mind like the clear moon, to see the truth within yourself is to know who you are. And the words that I use now, may they only serve as fingers pointing towards that moon. May they only serve as a raft to help you cross a river within yourself to know who you are. That's self-love. And if you can hold that, self-love then becomes available to all of us. Let's return back. If you've never experienced anyone who has, in a real physical sense, that you've been in the room with them, you've been privy to their energy, that has that concept of self-love, it would be very difficult to come to that on your own. Especially when all of your demonstrations have been the complete opposite, where most people pride themselves on an egoic sense of pride, an external sense of pride, a sense of love that comes from the fact that, yes, they finally achieved that car. They finally achieved that job. They finally achieved that promotion. They finally got that nod. Right? But it's in that nod that you sense, that you can sense that fleeting experience of what love could be. It's a short-term high. It's a short-term high that is very gratification-dependent. The clients and the young males that I see have their minds hell-bent on getting that nod. And I don't fault them because of most of society, if you just look at it, whether it's said in so many explicit words or whether it's just a subconscious thing, that's the messaging. The messaging is that you're not enough and you're not worthy until you achieve this X, Y, and Z, until you get this, get that person, and get the nod. It's not to say that those pursuits of wanting to have a house and to want to have a nice car and to wanting to be financially independent and to, you know, go on a trip down to the Bahamas and drink rum out of coconuts. If that's your idea of a good life, that's okay. Like, listen, I'm not here saying that you should give up all of your worldly desires and all your worldly objects and go live in the temple. You can if you want. I'm not saying you have to, though, in order to find a place of self-love. It's what was the engineering point. What was your mode? What was your mode? Were you in, were you driving in reverse or were you driving forward? Was the driver of such love the attainment of those objects? The attachment to such objects? The attachment, and I really would like to help you to step your mind into an attainment of an object that is not physical. Because you think it's the car, right? You think it's the car. You think it's, if you were to, See the most shallow explanation of why you think all of these objectal things make people happy. 
you think it's because of the the beauty of the Maserati or you think it's the beauty of the woman that's standing next to you that you'd be severely mistaken if you think that's where you're driving your validation from. It's the reference. It's the gratification that someone else would give to you as a result of having possession of such object. Such object. So is the woman or is the car really what you desire? Or is it that you find yourself love, your sense of self-love in the validation of others at the core? A question for you to ponder. And the messaging coming back here is that the more validation that you receive, the more likes, the more comments, the more views, the more nods, the more of a man you'll be, the more of a human, the more of a excellent human being you'll be, the more of a respectable human being you'll be. But how further from the truth that could be? It's amazing to me how many people get hijacked by this mentality, by this mindset. I think it taps in. I think there's certainly a biological reasoning for this. I think evolutionary. We always sought validation to be approved of by the tribe, by the group. But whenever these evolutionary arguments come up, I I love to acknowledge that side of it. I love the reasoning that would come from an evolutionary perspective. However, you have to go one step beyond that. You have to elevate yourself beyond your evolution, your genetic DNA evolution. Within all of us exists the programming to rape, pillage, destroy. That programming exists within all of us. Yet, we evolve beyond such a need to express that programming. Most of us, when we say are good human beings, have learned to control those desires. Most of us have learned to overcome certain levels of our DNA. And so we're not hijacked by that. Yet when it comes to gratification, when it comes to material gratification, when it comes to objectal gratification, people seem to turn a blind eye to that. People seem to think that's okay. That when you were, because of 300,000 years ago, if you saw a shiny object, if you saw a shiny object, or if you saw a set of moving legs that looked like it was an easy kill, that you would go after it with all tenacity. You know, anything that would provide you and your tribe with a sense of sustenance and existence that would perpetuate your genes into the next generation. You know, because that programming exists, and then now we step into 2022, in which that, okay, well, if it seems that the way that I get approved by by the tribe is by having all these shiny objects, shiny objects, not just as I said before in the materialistic of things, shiny objects in the sense of the way people think about you. Why is that acceptable? When I meet someone, do you think I judge them by the clothes they wear or do you think I judge them by the logo on their car on their car keys? Do you think I judge them by how much they have in a certain stakeholding? Do you think you judge them by if you would if you'd really see someone, let's say two people right now. Let's say two people. Two, you walk into a bar and you meet two people. Two men, right? Same age, let's say mid twenties. Right? One of them is the flashiest man you could possibly imagine, right? Beautiful Armani suit. Right, you can see the Maserati logo on his car keys. Got a Rolex on the wrist. Right, his hair slicked back. Right, this guy looks like he's doing well. This guy looks like he's an absolute ball. This guy looks like he loves himself. He accepts himself, not in an egoic way, but has self love, has self acceptance. Maybe he does. Maybe he does. And then you got a guy who's sitting next to him. 
He's just an average guy. Just like the average Joe. You know, checking shirt. Looks like he just rolled in from a day's hard work. Maybe he's a construction guy. So he's got some dirt on his cheeks. Right? He's got rough hands, real rough hands. Likely, the guy sitting next to him with the Maserati, his car is probably worth more than all of the guys sitting next to him in the checkered shirt has ever made in his entire life. That's just the car that he drives. Do you judge the man in the checkered shirt and the dirt on his cheeks as less in comparison to the man with all the flash? And if so, why? Hopefully, most of you would in this particularly my audience, would look at that and go, well, of course not. You've got to meet them. You've got to understand who they are. You've got to get a taste for their spirit. How we have forgotten as human beings to taste each other's spirits first. How much we have lost ourselves in tasting validation. Stepping into the sexual arena here for a second. <clears throat> to taste a woman's spirit before tasting her physical manifestation. Younger males have so... This is probably the number one thing that they get hijacked by the most, which is the shiny object, right? They see the woman dressed up, short dress, beautiful tan, beautiful eyes, beautiful hair, thick, thick, fit body. You taste on all of that worldly desire first before even considering what her core essence of a human being may be. Of course, hardwired, again, you can see the evolutionary perspective of why this is necessary. Why are men attracted to large breasts and large asses? Well, when it comes to large breasts, signifies and signals that this woman would likely be a good child rearer, that she would have the necessary nutrients to be able to provide through giving breastfeeding to her child. Say large breasts, this seems like a healthy human being. Seems like a human being that would actually make sure that my offspring continue to grow and grow well into the next generation. Large hips. Large hips provide for a much more robust and stable, rigorous birth-giving process. There's no mistakes as to why we are hardwired evolutionally and biologically to be attracted to large hips and to large breasts, which is quite fascinating, actually, when you look at the, just for a second here, just historically, on looking at that phase of what was it, the nineties to nineties to two thousands, where you saw that push towards ultra thin. Yet who who of us, if you're a man listening to this, actually found themselves more attracted to an ultra thin stick figure? So like I'm not I'm that would be very interesting. I'd like to talk to someone about that, about where that all came in, because when I look at that, it just doesn't make sense even on a biological sense. But anyways, moving beyond this. Back to young males being hijacked by sexuality. So as you can see, it's hardwired. It's absolutely hardwired as to why a young male right, would want to taste on the fleshy desires first before tasting on the spiritual core. But here we step back to this idea of elevating beyond your DNA. We all have the capacity to transcend our DNA and step into a spiritual knowing and understanding, if you will, in accordance with a way on the best of your paths. That would tap into a sense of self-love for if you had found a sense of self-love. If you would understand who you are, then surely you would like to see that recognition in another first. This is not me saying that you don't want to seek a healthy partner, a partner that sexually delights, that sexually 
infuses their energy into a dance which lights the fire within you. Of course, that's all natural. That's Not only is that natural, but it's recommended. I wouldn't certainly not say here for a second or pretend that the way that a woman presents herself is not important. Of course it is. In the same way that a man presents himself is important because they're all signals of communication as to what you think what you think, and what you respect yourself with. I know there's a movement in culture right now which is to accept all forms, to accept all... Hmm, and this is good. Maybe we start to tap into self-acceptance here for a second. This idea of healthy at any weight. This is a very socialist left move, movement and idea, which is that you're healthy at any weight. I was walking on the beach with a woman the other day uh, who is a midwife, and she was mentioning this idea. And you know, she said she, she didn't strike me necessarily as a super hard lefty, a hard like extreme left. I didn't think about it. I didn't really get that idea from her. She seemed at least center right, I would say, like slightly more conservative. She's kind of from that era. But when we say era, she's uh, that's probably not the right word. She's probably of that dis- demeanor in general. But then when she started to talk about healthy at any weight, I was like, hang on a second. That's a very squirrely idea because the, you're, what you're doing there is you are corrupting the definition of healthy. You are changing the word of what healthy is because healthy in any weight is incomputable. It's a They delete each other. You cannot be healthy at any weight. It's very clear that at a certain weight, you have a high risk of cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, right? You have arteries that are clogging because of a certain weight that you hold. Is that healthy? I don't think so. I don't think so. If you if you physically can't breathe after walking up a flight of stairs, it doesn't seem very healthy to me. Healthy at any weight? I don't think so. So now we come to self-acceptance though. So, and this is good. So for what about those people, Adam? If we're now moving off the sexual arena, oh, we've got to go back to the sexual arena. But if we're moving back into the physical arena now, what about for those of us that are not in a state of supreme physical stature? For those that are maybe 20, 30 kilos overweight, or if you're just a, a twig and you're allowed to put on more muscle, but you don't have the discipline or you have not uh, cultivated the discipline, I should say, to have a rigorous training regimen and uh, pay close enough attention to your nutrition to be able to put that weight on, that metabolically functional weight on. I'm not where I want to be, being this some point there. How can I find self-acceptance for that? How can you balance self-acceptance? With this idea of self-love and self-acceptance, you can go too far of it. Or you can go into a very uh, malignant idea, a, a malign, misaligned way of viewing this idea of self-love and acceptance. You can take it very, very far to the point of which that, well, hang on a second. How can you love yourself if you are actively breaking the equation I started this podcast with? I started this podcast with the equation of that within self-love and self-acceptance comes with the acknowledgement of imperfection. So if you're a piece of shit right now, that's okay. However, what was the other part of that equation? To pursue a path. The foremost to pass, the best of paths in all of your temple. If you're going to continue being a piece of shit, so once you've acknowledged that you're a piece of shit, but you continue, so you don't change your life, you don't change who you are, you keep the unserving mindsets. You keep 
perpetuating the actions that would lead you. You keep eating shit food. You keep watching pornography. You keep being a jealous little seething, seething entity that just looks to destroy the people around you because they're doing well. You look at all these toxic mindsets. You keep perpetuating all of this. Well, then self-love and acceptance truly would never come to you because as we defined at the beginning of this podcast, the self-love and self-acceptance is really knowing in who you are, is really a knowing in who you are. And your core essence. So I fully acknowledge and would like to bring highlights to the fact that if you're going to continue being a piece of shit, once the acknowledgement has come in, then I think it'd be very difficult to find self-love and acceptance. Is it possible to play the counterpoint? Is it possible that someone would truly desire to be grossly obese and that is where they find their sense of groundedness and centeredness in this life? Is that possible? I would never go as far to say that it's impossible, but it's so highly unlikely that almost anyone who tried to convince you of that would be lying. Even for the people that I know that have been the jolliest and that actually seem to be relatively happy with the fact that they're super overweight, I know in their quiet hours and when they look at themselves in the mirror and even if they have done such circusry, they have gone through such circus within their minds to convince themselves that, no, this is the way that I want to be, but you see it in their subconscious actions that they won't take their shirt off at the beach or that they will avoid looking at certain shops. They won't go into a certain shop to try and that certain type of clothes because they know they won't have their size, etc., etc. You know that they just alter their subconscious behavior to ignore all the reflection points, erecting mindsets such as healthy at any weight, which is just physiologically incorrect. Uh, you, you can be happy, potentially happy at any weight if you are going to go through that process of self-acceptance. And that's what I'm saying. That For those of you listening to this that are saying that, Adam, listen, you like to be... You like to be shredded. You like to be in good condition. You like to be mobile and you know living at the weight that actually your body would like to be in terms of its genetic DNA predisposition. But for me, I'm happy. I would rather live a life in which that I can eat lasagna every night, that I can go to Korean barbecue and I can have the fattiest cuts all the time and I can eat as much fat and as much refined sugar and seed oils and processed food as I want and I can go and travel around the world and I can eat ramen and I can et cetera, et cetera, right? That's the life that I want to live and that's where I get my happiness from. Okay. Okay. I'm not arguing with that. But I want to make sure that you don't have any arguments within yourself. What I'm talking and speaking towards here is a raw honesty, a raw truth within yourself. Because if you were to wake up every single day, and this is probably where you can start to think about where did I find a lot of the acceptance or the self-love if we were talking about just very micro, very tactically within myself. That when you wake up every day and you commit to a path in which I'm going to do the very best that I can today, even if I'm not where I want to be, but I'm going to do the very best that I can. It's so honorable. It's so honorable. No matter if you're at the lowest level of your life, that's where you'll find honor. Meio in Japanese. Meio. It's where you will find honor. What I'm most concerned with is those of you that would trick yourselves, that would play circus games in your mind, that would think that it's okay to continue your undisciplined life. As you know, Jocko Willink loves to say, discipline equals freedom. 
there was an analogy someone once spoke of that I cannot remember the author of, but it's a ripper, which is this. Take a large disc. Take an infinite space with a large disc. You have an infinite space around you, but there's a large disc upon which you plop yourself. It's just floating in the air, but it's a large disc with no walls. So if you were to fall off such disc, that's it. You're dead. And we give you a rubber ball and say, hey, go play. Go play on this large disc in infinity. Versus taking the same large disc, but erecting a two, three meter barrier around the entire circumference of the disc. So now go play. How much more freedom do you think you have in playing on a disc in infinity that has a barrier around the edge versus no barrier? On first introspection, you would think, oh, no walls, more freedom. No, more walls, less freedom. Why? Because of the risk of dying. You would not play as freely because of the potentiality that you would end your life falling off. You'd be far more cautious. Whereas if you were to erect a slight barrier, not a barrier that encloses the entire disc, not a barrier that stops you from moving altogether, not such rigorous discipline that you can't even function anymore, but just enough, just enough to ensure that you can optimize your level of freedom, that you can play rambunctiously, that you can play with a degree of uncertainty and know that you are certain of not dying, you'd find more freedom. Discipline equals freedom, the wall being discipline as human beings. Self-love and self-acceptance I uh, has to be harmonized with discipline. It has to be. It has to be unless you are just that 0.0001% of the human population that is so psychotic that could trick themselves, play such circus games within themselves to actually believe that they wanted to be a piece of shit. That actually living a life of being a piece of shit where you tear down the people around you in which that you're addicted to pornography and alcohol and drugs and that you just eat shit food all the time and you don't offer any tangible sense of value to the people outside of yourself and to society in general. If that's the life that you want to live and you can genuinely look me in the damn eye and say, yes, that's the life that I want to live, then okay, then you can disregard everything else I just said. But if you are psychologically well-balanced, if you actually understand that most of the time for most people, most human beings, our sense of fulfillment comes in helping others. A sense of reciprocal altruism, which that if you actually did something for someone else on the chorus of levels, which is just smile at them, just say hello, just let them know that I see you. I feel light within me and I see the light within you. For those that you can see walking throughout their day in a dull malaise, for those that have their eyes down, for those that are afraid of the world. There was a woman literally on my walk this morning. She was a, let's say, 55, 60-year-old Asian woman, and you know she looked a little bit like Mary Poppins, and she was walking down the street, and as I crossed over the street, we were about to cross paths as she crossed the street that was going to come into contact with me, and she, with her head down, she, she didn't acknowledge me with her eyes, but with her head down, she stopped her walk to allow me an inordinate level of distance to walk by her as if she was playing a subservient role, as if I was the prince walking down the street and that she had to move to the side and allow me to walk on. It wasn't, there, were, there was plenty of space for both of us to walk by each other. And it wasn't as if she thought I was a dangerous human being or there was anything uh, potentially risky about me. It was, you could sense in her energy, which is that she considered herself to be of lower social standing, for whatever the reason may be. As we came into contact, I slowed down. 
And even though she wasn't even looking at me in the eyes, her eyes were to the ground. I said to her in the sweetest, yet groundest of words, good morning. Sweet, but with grounding. Disciplined, but with freedom. She rose her eyes and said, Good morning. Thank you. A brief yet subtle smile crossed her lips. And I walked away smiling too, making sure that as I took my step away, I went into my heart and sent it to hers. A practice in your life of taking a deep breath after those that you walk by that you can sense that are suffering, suffering battles, suffering wars within themselves psychologically that you know nothing of to walk away one step and to say hey i'll send you my heart i'll send you some love from myself whether you don't even have to get so woo-woo to the point of believing that actually that's physically what's being transferred and when i say woo-woo there i'm just trying to tap into those of you that get lost easily on the spiritual concepts but to hold a mentality in which that i will send love from myself for if it were possible in the off chance for those of you that are non-believers, that it was possible that I could send some of the love that exists within me to another human being. Wouldn't you want to? Wouldn't you want to on the off chance? Yeah. It doesn't seem like such a risk on your investment of energy to take a step by of someone who is suffering deeply to just say, hey, I'm just going to really embody and go into my love, go into the core of my love and just give her a little bit of it. Send it to her. Try it. Try it. Try it today. Practice it. Walk by someone that you can see that needs a little light, needs a little love. Send it their way. For if literally it is false, I don't know. But if metaphorically it could not be truer that you would feel better, that you would feel intensely better by knowing that I did what I could to help that person. On the corest of levels is why I brought up this story. By the way, for those of you uh, just wondering, the tone of voice with which that Asian woman rose her eyes and said, good morning, thank you, was that of the exact same voice actor who voices the soothsayer in Kung Fu Panda 2. Or was it 3? 2. 2, I believe it's 2. Actually, I believe uh, the soothsayer is in number 2 and 3, but the first time you see the soothsayer is in number 2. It's the sheep. The sheep that is the soothsayer that knows, can tell the fortune of, and tell uh, the future of what's going to happen, Harbour Poe, etc. But if you can hear the soothsayer's voice, it was the same tone of voice that this Asian woman had. Now, on the chorus of levels, if we just rewind that story, I could have kept on walking. I could have said nothing. To extend her the love that I feel within myself and the acceptance that I have for myself, something that... Thich Nhat Hanh, Zen philosopher who is no longer with us anymore, that exists within all of us always. He once practiced and relayed a lesson, a teaching of wisdom, in which that you must come to a place of self-love and acceptance within yourself in order to give it to others. If you don't feel love within yourself, how can you give that to someone else? A practice of which that I saw with this woman here. For whatever reason, she had barred herself off 
and lowered herself to a subservient position in life. A little light, a little spark that could show her that actually, no, that you're worth a lot more than that. And this is an idea that we didn't finish up before, which is the demonstration of love, the demonstration of self-acceptance. How else would you get a map on it? How else would you get a demonstration of it? Well, that's the beauty of podcasts. That's the beauty of seeing what is possible, hearing about what is possible. And so I'm not going to, even for a second, think that someone listening to this couldn't take that story and then go and do their own version of it. That is 100% possible. And so you would see another little demonstration of what that could be. But I acknowledge that for a lot of my clients, and this is something that I've seen, that yes, they didn't have the demonstration from their parents, from their brothers, from their family. In fact, I said this is the opposite. And all they see is from society. And now you have these pseudo fathers, you have pseudo brothers, you have pseudo mentors in which that you only access through the internet. And if that happens to be a source in which that that is negative, that is deleterious to the well-being of all beings in terms of the pursuit, the pursuit of enlightenment, the pursuit of joy, the pursuit of love and peace that could be felt between us as human beings. If you've got people that are op- operating in the opposite of that, you know, it's dark. It's so dark and that is darkness. And I can offer my own compassion to people that find themselves in that state of environment. But at the same time, as you can see, these all of these concepts dive in with to each other. They all come back to each other because I was about to tie that point right back to the idea of accepting your current state, but then doing everything you can to move beyond that. Speaking on, speaking on those of you that wish to have successful relationships, those of you that wish to attract a partner, for those of you that are single, for those of you, whether you have listened to great deals of this podcast and realized that actually maybe monogamy right now is not the best tool for my own development right now. Maybe it will be in the future, but certainly right now, whether it's because I've just come out of the back end of a tremendous amount of psychological trauma throughout all my life, and maybe I've just been cheated on, and maybe the idea of stepping back into the world of romance with one particular person is a little bit too much for me right now. Maybe I need to baby step my way through the progress, through the progression of what it means to dance between masculine and feminine energy. Maybe I need to learn how to sit in, sit into the pocket, sit into the space, sit deeply within myself to feel the heart of another human being to look into their eyes, to understand their true nature, and maybe get a glimpse within that mirror of what my true nature may be. And then for us to flux within energy, for us to rise into the sky, as I've described, in order to understand our place within all of internal energy. And so maybe monogamy right now is not the best tool for that. Maybe, maybe, maybe a polyamorous style may be the best option right now. That's something that you would have to, again, come to within yourself to understand who you are, to understand the beauty of what you can be to understand the beauty that you could experience. Maybe it wasn't abuse. Maybe it's just that you're realizing that at 25, 30 years old, 35, 40, that I'm sexually a virgin. Sexually, not, only, not even just physically sexually a virgin, but I'm psychologically a virgin. And this is not something that we describe very much. But to psychologically be a virgin, what does that mean? It means to have not Two levels here. Level one, to have not tasted physically within your mind, to not allowed yourself to look at another human being and say, I find that attractive. And that that is something that I want to pursue. That is not only just something that I want to pursue, because in order to want to pursue, you must also believe that there is a part of you that is worthy of such pursuit. And this is where you can start to see even more of the self-acceptance and now worth does come in. But that was level one. Level two being to spiritually taste 
to spiritually desire, to be spiritually worthy of that other human being. This is something that I was just working on a client, working on with with a client. There's too many withs in that sentence. I was trying to nail that. Working with a client on, there we go, recently, which was coming to a place of worth within yourself that actually I'm worthy of being loved. Well, how does this how does this snake eating snake cycle begin? Do you believe that you would find a sense of loving yourself by and a worth being worthy of being loved? Do you think that comes first? Let me say that again, just to clean it up. Do you think that you become worthy of love by finding that outside of yourself first? Or do you think that by generating internally your own sense of self-love, being worthy of loving yourself, do you think that people that seek love outside of themselves and seek to be worthy of someone else loving them first, do you think that they also simultaneously have found themselves worthy of being loved within themselves? The answer is no. The answer is no, which is that if you are seeking to find another human being who would stamp you as being worthy of being loved, you find another human being who would treat you the way you want to be treated, say the right words to you, say the things that you want to hear to tell you that they love you and that that would inspire your own worth of love to find that self-love and acceptance within yourself. There's a client that I was recently dealing with who I could sense had spent many, many decades of his life working and operating with this mentality. And he is now on the path, hopefully, moving towards an idea of that actually. I must value myself first in order for someone else to value me. I think it has become lost knowledge, lost wisdom, that we are projectors as human beings. You could very crudely see all of us as human beings walking around with a giant lens on our third eye and that part of your forehead, which is a giant lens which projects an image not only of who you believe yourself to be, but what you believe yourself to be worthy of. We project what we believe to be worthy of when it comes to love, when it comes to life, when it comes to acceptance. You project all these values to people outside of yourself. You are a walking billboard of how much you love yourself, how much you accept yourself, how much you've come to peace within yourself, how grounded and centered you sit within yourself. So anytime that you come across another human being and you falsely believe that their projection back towards you is what validates your projection or what would give information towards your projection. That's where you're so severely mistaken, which is that if someone else is walking around, for example, if someone else is walking around in a state of disrepair psychologically in which that they are a taking being, they only seek to hurt and destroy. How wrong would it be to come into contact with that projection and think that, oh, Oh, that's a validation reflection of who I am inside. Most people would look at that, that example particularly and go, oh, that's no-brainer. But then why would you, if you can see that, if you can understand that concept, then why would you apply that to ideas of romance now? 
when it comes to romance that you would depend upon for a man listening to this, that you depend upon a woman saying to you that, ah, yeah, you're the guy that I want to be with. You're the most attractive. And it's because of what you hold. Because her sense, let's say that her corrupted sense of psychology was that her sense of value was corrupted by the cars and the house and the body. If the cars and the house and the body and the money was what was important to her, and then you look at that projection coming back onto you and you realize that you aren't those things, and you allow that to delete your sense, your sense of self-worth, acceptance and love within yourself. What kind of path is that? What kind of life is that? What kind of dependence are you giving breath and existence to? How would that ever lead to you being fulfilled? You can't just so readily give your power away to other human beings. Even for those that as are doing their best, even for someone like myself, like I wouldn't, I would highly encourage that as you listen to my podcast and you listen to these ideas that you would only hold them so lightly. As Miyamoto Masashi once said, that you would hold your concept of self so lightly. I think of yourself so lightly, but think of the world deeply. I think of myself lightly, but I think of the world deeply. As someone else once said in a more modern day, Chris Williamson, that if I can predict all of your beliefs based on one of your beliefs, then you are not a serious thinker. You have merely adopted someone else's ideology and run with that. I hope that none of you fall into that position. I hope that you are all masters and all creators of your mind. You're all masters of your psychology. And that just because you see that this guy or this girl bases their sense of self-worth and love and acceptance on the fact that they have that car, they have that house, they have that money, and they have that human being standing next to them. That you wouldn't look at that and go, oh, well, I'll do that then. Well, I'll, I'll, that seems to make them happy, especially when it comes to social media. When it comes to social media, what people seem to forget is that social media is a curation. It is a curation of the projection. It's not even if you would have just meet them on the street. You get a much more accurate projection of who you think that person is and who they think they are. But when it comes to social media, it is so highly curated. It's 1% of that projection. So you have to always walk very, very carefully and walk very lightly upon the projections you see on social media to know that this is a 1% of who this person is. Even if you're looking at their story, you're looking at their vlog, you're looking at the posts that they put up, particularly the photos, even the worst is probably the photos, the ones that aren't even a video clip. But even the video clips can be very highly curated knowing there's being a curator myself, whereas we all are, if you're going to be using social media. But some of us would endeavor to do it a little bit more uh, honestly. They would like to do it a little bit more rawly. They wouldn't like to put a filter on absolutely everything. And the filter concept. The filter concept is only, you know, you're looking at the purpose of it. If you're using filters, if you're filtering your life, if you're filtering your life through the lens of validation, because we're all filtering. Let's make no mistake about that. We are always, well, not always. Always is the wrong word for the most of the time. We are filtering what we do and what we say in order to be socially acceptable. Yeah. Okay. But if you do it to such a degree and from such a motivation to be able to leverage yourself into a higher stratosphere of society itself, to be able to leverage yourself into a position in which that you feel more powerful, that you feel more worthy, then that's when you lost yourself. When did you forsake yourself? Is a question I think we should all ask ourselves. 
for those that have not found a place of self-love and acceptance, when did you forsake yourself? Because surely it was something you were born with. Surely it was something that you know that you can always return to. So at what point did you forsake yourself? At what point did you decide that it was my net worth, that it was the amount of times that I've slept with this particular type of woman, that it was this particular land that I own? At what point did you make that decision to forsake yourself? And in doing so, forsake all of the potential truth of what love and acceptance could be within yourself? It's a good question to ask. And for those of you that are listening to this going, I remember that day. I remember that day that I forsaked myself, forsaked myself. And I remember the day also that I got back onto the path. You know, doesn't, doesn't, that, doesn't that make the hair stand up on your arms? Because it surely just did for me. Which is that you can hold both. This is where that, that equation before of acknowledging that you're a piece of shit, but then moving towards not being a piece of shit. It really is that simple. It really is that rudimentary. That would make one's arms, the hair on one's arms stand up. The day that I forsaked myself versus the day that I decided to get back on the path. It's accessible for everyone. It is accessible for everyone here listening to this. Which is what makes, as the light shines through my window right now, which is what inspires me. I would be very worried if I had a 16, 13 year old younger brother or sibling, younger daughter, son, sister, living in this world right now. I would be ultra concerned with how they talk to themselves. Most people are not even aware of how they talk to themselves. They're not even aware that there is a conversation happening within themselves. Conversely, or maybe I should not say conversely, but in addition, in addition, most people are not even aware that they could cease such thoughts, that they could reach a state of thought cessation that they could reach a state of absolute presence and so i would like to i was liking to hold this concept too much later in the podcast which i think we're ready for now because in the beginning of these podcasts i realized that if i hit you with deep concepts very very quickly i think i lose a lot of you so it's better to start off with entry point something that's easy for people to get into this podcast and then as we start to move towards the end of the podcast, start to really light shit up for back of better words. At the end of it all, at the end of it all, to access self-love and self-acceptance, you would use the fingers, you would use the rafts of which we discussed at the beginning of this podcast, which is to have great psychological rigor around how you conduct yourself as a human being, your principles, your development your principles and your development, rigorously. That is your discipline that will equal your freedom. However, that is not the core of it. That is not all of it. That is not the base of it. The base of it exists within the silence between my words. The base of who you are exists when you stop thinking, when you enter the presence of what is available to you now. When you lose your concept of self and time, your self-love and self-acceptance will become complete. For your egoic ruminations, for your strategizing, for your tactical, for, your, for, for every want of a tactical game plan to be able to say, okay, step one's through 10, 
X, Y to Z. That's how I'll start to love myself. That's how I'll start to accept myself. At a certain point, you have to put down the fingers. At a certain point, you have to put down the words and you actually have to, just now, you actually have to breathe. A teaching from Eckhart Tolle, in which that most human beings suspend themselves in a state of perpetual chasing. We are always chasing the next experience. Get up in the morning in order to sit down at breakfast, in order to go sit down in your car, in order to go sit down at work, in order to go sit down at lunch, and then in order to go to sit down back at work, in order to go sit back down in your car, in order to sit down back at home, in order to sit down on the couch, in order to go lie back down. You constantly find yourself as a human being. If you are hijacked by society, if you are hijacked by desires of validation from everything outside of yourself, if you are hijacked by a cup that has no bottom, then you will always be seeking and be suspended in a state of constant chasing. But available to you is a cessation of all that chasing. To breathe. To breathe intently. To breathe deeply within to yourself. To realize that the experience of life is not in chasing and not in seeking, but sitting into what is now. To arriving deeply into the presence of this moment right now. That's when your love is experienced. That is when your joy and your peace, that is when your self-love and acceptance will be realized. Your self-love and self-acceptance will not be realized as you are chasing the validation of someone else, as you are chasing that next experience as to that next time in which I'll do this and I'll do that and then I'll get to the next thing which I'll do that and I'll do this. That's not where your self-love and acceptance will be realized. It's only in the moments where you stop the perpetual constant nature of the monkey mind. You find yourself here. Your stress, your worries exist in the past, they exist in the future. A well-honed spirit, a well-rounded spirit finds itself within now. A deep love, a deep love that recognizes the best of who you are in another. A deep love which sits within to wanting to experience the best of another human being. A deep love that wants to offer the best of who you are to someone else. That exists now, only now. Not in what you think is going to happen after this. Not in who you thought you were coming into this experience. You're a young person listening to this. Put down the watches. Put down the cars. Put down the money. Put down your house. Put down your validation for all your friends, family, co-workers, and university students. Show them who you are now. Step into who you are now. Breathe into who you are now. Going back to those two men in the bar. The construction worker with the dirt in his face, checkered shirt, the Maserati flashman. Upon surface level, one appears to have managed to fandangle his way through this game of 21st century society, has, has played the game better, has played the game of capitalism better. Maybe. Maybe. You don't know. I don't know. But all I do know is that 
I would like to taste his spirit first before making any such further judgments. If you could take anything very tactically away from this podcast, which I know we're trying, I'll, 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 I'll say this and we'll get back to this, the concept of self. Just if you were to just walk away from this podcast and go, today I'm going to spend tasting people's spirits. That's it. And all that means is to see the essence of who the human being is inside of themselves first. Coming back to your concept of self now. If we acknowledge at the beginning of this podcast that the ego can be wielded and harnessed for beauty or for destruction, can be harnessed for meaningful work or destructive work, that is the nature of the ego. It is a beast that is set out into the field and is your job and it is your predestined default from the moment that you wake up that you will engage with this beast, which is creating a false dichotomy within the analogy, but it is serving, it helps, it's a great framework, which is that you ride this beast. Some people ride it more effectively than others. Some people have a tighter harness on the beast of their ego more than others. Some of those would see that that beast doesn't destroy the land around it, but would actually act harmoniously to serve meaningful work, to benefit others. If we can acknowledge that concept, then we can also acknowledge that that is in fact a concept, that ego itself being the concept. And if we could delete that for just a moment, if you could just take a meaningful period of your day to sit quietly at the beginning of your day, five minutes, check in with yourself at the end of your night, five minutes, check in with yourself. I'm not asking you to become a spiritual warrior. I'm not asking you to become the Buddha. I'm not asking you to dedicate yourself to a life of detachment from worldly desires. All I'm asking is that you'd breathe into this moment. Those that seek power, those that seek power, and I say power in the way in which that you are attractive to others. For why else would you seek power? Why else do human beings seek power? but then to be attracted to others? Would we play power games, whether that be within our relationships or whether that be within societal relationships in terms of countries, in terms of states, in terms of companies? Would you play such power games if it was only you and your sex? If it was just males? And that, that's, a, that's a very squirrely, don't go too far with that because I know it's a very squirrely analogy. What I'm saying here is that would we do any of the things that we do if it weren't to attract and be attractive to the opposite sex? I want you to elevate your concept. I'm sure that sparks a whole bunch of ideas in your mind. I would like you to elevate to a, a much higher level of what I've just said there, which is on the concept of power. Is it possible for you listening to reorient your on what your power is derived from? Is it possible that all of the external manifestations of this fleshly world is not where your true source of power is derived from, but in that the source of your spirit is what people find most attractive and thus powerful? The quality of someone's internal makeup the quality of which someone thinks, which someone operates, 
which I think could only be derived from the quality of which they had spent time in being detached from who they think they are and stepping into who they actually are. Because make no mistake, we're all going somewhere. We're all on a journey here. We're all on the same journey, really. Whether you believe that it was this creator, this God, this name, that X, that Y, that Z, that brought us all here together now. We surely all came here together now, and we surely all will leave together as well. On a perpetual, eternal thread, our lives exist. So that is what I am describing when I say who you actually are. I look forward to the day that my consciousness leaves this fleshly body and finds out what possibly exists on the next round. Which takes us into a different stage of this conversation, which is, have you considered the fact that you will die? Have you considered the fact that you will die? But in fact, simultaneously, you will live on forever. Have you held that dichotomy? Have you held that seemingly paradoxical concept that is inharmonizable? It would be very difficult to harmonize the fact that actually you're going to die. Who are you listeners? Stephanie, listen to this. Mark, listen to this. You're going to die. And you're probably going to die very soon, actually, relative to the scape of this entire universe. You probably got maximum, you know, 105, 110. You're an absolute outlier, but for the average of you, most of the people listening to this podcast right now, you're all going to die roughly around the age between 75 and 85. And all of you listening, for all you Mark Stephanie's and Jerome's listening, you will also continue to live on in one way or another, in some form of energy, in one way or another, because when it all boils down, that is what life is. It is all a transference of energy, a communication of energy between the two of us. Between the one of us, I should say. But, dragging you back up that little bamboo shoot, you do realize that you are going to die. So when it comes to a concept of self-love and self-acceptance, you know you don't have infinity within this human body you have taken rent up within. You don't have infinity to be able to work that out. So if you haven't come to self-love and self-acceptance right now, what are you waiting for? Who are you waiting for? What objects? And as I said before, how much? How much? That's all you have to know. So you can, there are great examples. Great examples. uh, I can't remember the name of the gentleman, but a gentleman that was recently on the Lewis Howes podcast in which he described, when I was in my 20s, I wanted to be a millionaire. And when I was a millionaire, I wanted to be in my 20s. I would trade all I had as a millionaire to be young and broke again, to have the freedom and the adventure that I had when I was 20. So you can listen to uh, wise people that have gone and traversed the game of capitalism and have found themselves at the top end, that have found themselves with all the money and all that they could desire in this fleshly world, in this ever-escaping and fleeting world of objects. They found what they wanted to find, yet only to realize that they were lacking so much. It's a trope for a reason. It's a generalization for a reason in which that people that happen to 
come by extreme wealth externally do not simultaneously guarantee themselves extreme wealth internally. Routinely, I see gentlemen down at the beach that are driving Ferraris, that are sitting, they're sitting in their Lambos, they're sitting in their McLarens, and they are overweight. They are shallow. That when I, if not conversate with them myself, if I look at the energy of which they operate, that you can see that they operate with such darkness within them. And this is not all of them, of course. This is not, this is not me making a correlation of causation in which that the fact that they have ridiculous sports cars is why they have become such dark beings. Of course not. What I'm saying is that it's not, it would be a mistake to look at these people that have pursued the generation of the generation of such wealth to the degree in which that they have forsaken themselves. That is not a light thing to breeze over. It's not a light thing to breeze over. There must be a harmonization there. There must be a balance in looking at, well, abject poverty. Abject poverty is certainly not the desire. Neither is such extreme wealth to the point in which that I forget of what my essence of a human being may be. And as a different Zen philosopher once spoke of, the only Zen to be found atop of mountains is the Zen that you bring up there. You may find Zen sitting in your Ferrari. You may also find Zen sitting on the bus to be studied carefully. I'm most focused on the timeline right now. I'm most focused on your timeline. If you have surmised from the workings of this podcast so far that, okay, in order to find and the key to self-love and self-acceptance being that I am imperfect and that is the eternal state of a human being. There is nothing you will ever do to perfect yourself. However, there is one perfection I believe that is offered to all of us, which is love. Love itself is perfect. And love only being the words that express from my mouth right now point towards the truth within yourself that you could realize as you shut up, as you breathe. You find love as you breathe. You breathe in love, you breathe out love, whether you're aware of it or not. As Lao Tzu once described in the Tao Te Ching, to live in a way, to live in accordance with the way. What is the way though? What is the way that so many philosophers, whether they are Eastern or Western, have described? That points towards where you would find true love, where you would find a sense of love within yourself, where you would find a sense of worth, a sense of value, where you would finally come to accept yourself. There is a way. There is a path. There is a process. There is a journey. These are all the rafts. These are all the fingers that I hope that you can surmise from this podcast that points you inwards. If that is the only thing that you took from this, which is that it will never be found outside of myself. My peace will never be found outside of myself. My peace will only be found internally. Then hopefully you would come to realize, okay, I have the time afforded to me now in which that I can do what I can with what I have. And so I'll seek a path that would help to serve other people in the best way I possibly can. That would help me to develop my own principles as a human being. Direct, congruent, authentic, covering of empathy. 
that I would design a temple based on my purpose, physical, mental, social development, transcended by a true nature, an inner knowing of who I actually am, which actually requires very little words, in fact, none, which is a cessation of conceptualization in which that you would just dive into the presence of now. If you were to live your life, if you're a 25-year-old right now, listening to that, you listen to this, and you for the next 60 years of your life, and you ended up at around 80 to 90 years old, and you lived a life that was guided by that, and that you derived your sense of self-worth, you derived your sense of self-love, and that you finally came to accept yourself in the dying day. In the dying day, when your final day came, and you looked back on your life, how much time had you spent looking back, judging other people, judging yourself for not being enough, for not being worthy of love, for not being worthy of acceptance, whether you accepted yourself or whether others accepted you. You look back on your life and you go, hang on a second, I think I made a mistake. I need to rerun this. Well, there's no guarantee that's ever going to happen. But what if you look back on your life and go, actually, I don't need to rerun. I want you all to live lives in which that you get to the end of them and say, I don't need to rerun. Because I worked every single day dealing with my imperfect condition as a human to perfect my own love to find myself in connection with the perfect love, knowing that I myself will never be perfect. But that is where the derivement of self-love and acceptance comes from. How could you ever come to love yourself and to accept yourself if you didn't realize this? And to offer the, the brothering point, the brothering point being that upon realizing such source of self-love and acceptance, that it comes with your development hand in hand. For one could not simultaneously wake up knowing that they are currently in a state of disrepair, that you are a piece of shit, and then to accept that and to not do anything to change that. In whatever way that you believe that you have accessible to you now, I'll either succeed or I'll die trying. I'll either succeed first or I'll die trying. I'll either summit this mountain or I'll die on my way up there. Like that's the mentality. That's the mentality. And you know what the mountain is? The mountain isn't to be found outside of yourself. The mountain exists within you. To be on a journey in which that you're willing to die in pursuit of perfecting your spirit, knowing that it will never be summited. And that, in fact, in of itself is perfection. But if you can see the peak of the mountain which you wish to climb within yourself, you can see it, knowing that you'll never reach it. It's calming. That's something that you can attach to. You know, we seek to avoid all attachments in life to reduce suffering. But if there's one thing that I've said across these years, which is that there's one attachment I'm quite happy with, which is the pursuit of perfecting one soul, one spirit, the pursuit of perfecting yourself. Because I think in order to perfect yourself, you'd have to walk with love every day. How could you not? If you were to even conceptualize the idea of a perfect human being, wouldn't they be derived from love? Wouldn't they express light? Wouldn't they fill you with a sense of peace? Wouldn't when you step into their aura, you come to find yourself at home? Taking these larger concepts now, imagine if you could offer that to another human being in a raw sexual space. And a romantic partner. Imagine if a romantic partner, for those of you who are young males listening to this, instead of you pursuing a cool watch, 
Instead of you pursuing the Rolex, instead of you pursuing the Maserati and pursuing the job and pursuing all the cash to be able to impress this woman, how about you, how about, and what if you could sit down with her and as she found herself encapsulated by your aura, that she would feel that this man is on a path. This man is on a path of perfection. He is pursuing perfection of his spirit. How would you communicate that? Well, when you look into her eyes, she'd feel safe. She'd feel like you see her for who she is and not who you want her to be. That you feel like when you place your hand upon her cheek, running your hand down her neck, that she would melt into your caress. That your caress would offer such relief that this masculine being sees all of who I am. You need only but caress a woman's neck to receive the feedback on whether she trusts you or not. The stiffness, the tensity with which that she will respond to your touch. That's all you need to know about your level of comfort and trust. You know, if I was a, if I had a daughter, if I had a daughter, if I myself was a feminine being, what I would seek in a masculine being the most is a simultaneous relationship between he pursues a perfection of love within himself and is able to offer that to me. To know that another human being is doing the best they can in his life and to know that they wish to express that to other people. That's it. The equation is very simple, very simple there. It's very simple. That this human being doesn't look at me and go that, oh, you own me. That when this girl looks at this guy, that the guy isn't thinking, ah, she's mine now. Or that she's mine to do with what I will. That she's an object. That she is a pursuit of validation. No. Human beings are, human beings are the mirrors. Human beings are the mirrors with which we'll come to understand a pathway to knowing who we are. A pathway to enlightenment is offered to us through all of our eyes. The human being itself, not to be mistaken, to be attached towards as the realization itself. No, you'll never meet a human being in your life in which that you will say, this person completes me. A human being will never complete you. A human being may only offer you a doorway to which you would find your own completion. Your self-love, your acceptance to be found within yourself. Unattached independent of all things and all beings outside of yourself. Coming to realize all of this, coming to understand all of this, hopefully you would tactically, day by day, just one step at a time. That's all it is. That's all it is. You can talk yourself in, talk yourself in, journal yourself in, meditate your way in, visualize your way in. Find your way through making a simple cup of tea. Find your way through doing a cold plunge in the ocean. Find your way through lifting heavy weights. Find your way through pursuing a research of an entity, of a bacteria, of an animal. Find your way through playing guitar. Find your way through sitting in the sun simply and realizing who you are. And then just doing your best to offer a little bit of that to someone else. That's where you find your self-love and your self-acceptance. If you don't think that you're worthy of other human beings, I would ask yourself to check in with yourself. If you don't think that you're worthy of another human being, I would ask yourself, am I worthy of myself? 
Start with the right question. For those of you that don't have self-love and self-acceptance, it's not because you have not been loved and accepted by others. It's because you have not been willing to offer that love and acceptance within. Much of the pain, much of the pain and much of the expression of darkness that we see within our world today, I believe is largely because of this, that people have forgot what it means to find love within themselves and to accept their nature as human beings, which is finite within your fleshly mechanic, but infinite within your spiritual understanding, within your connection to all things and all life. And with that, my friends, I'm going to send you off. I'm going to send you off. Until next time, please do the best that you can. It's okay. It is okay. If you're a piece of shit right now, acknowledge it. Move forward. Erect discipline. Become disciplined. Find your freedom. Find your freedom in doing the things that you know intrinsically serve you in serving others. Feel your best in order to do your best. And I hope one day, one of you would come back to this podcast and look back and say, I realized when I forsaked myself, but I also realized the day when I got back on the path. May today be that day. And with that, I'm sending you all the love, peace, and joy. That brings me to my thanks for all of you. Thank you, first off, for just being here, your presence. But please let me know. Let me know in a comment down below where you are in your lives, how you felt about this, any commentary. I'll do my best to get back as soon as I possibly can. And also, if you did enjoy the content, please hit the thumbs up on the YouTube video. It just helps it get sent out to more people in the community. And if you feel like this would resonate with someone else, please share it to some of your close friends. If you would like to dive into one-on-one coaching, it's all available on boldojo.com guided meditation, free resources of wisdom, free weekly on my newsletter, bowl sip, just chuck your email in, comes out every Friday. That's all available, all the links down below. And if you would like to support the podcast directly, you can donate anything that you wish through the PayPal link down below or on the website, boldoja.com in the podcast section. Anything that you guys give is always super appreciated. So I thank you very much. Wishing you all the love, peace, and joy in this life.